Father, we thank you for the reminder in song that salvation belongs to you, and there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And we are reminded of that name in so many different references in the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, who will save us from our sins. Thank you for making that known to us, for not leaving us in our darkness or in the darkness. And for any here this morning, Father, who have maybe just wandered in or are still searching, I pray that even by the end of this morning, they will come to a deep conviction that they need Christ and that they would find salvation in his name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn in them to the book of Galatians, and we'll be looking at that in a couple moments. Uh, if you were here at the uh, service last night, uh, in one of the services, Pastor Barry mentioned that we had somebody that passed away uh, this past um, uh, yesterday, and that was Judith Barry. Uh, you might have remembered Judith's baptism a couple months ago. It was a, just a wonderful celebration of her new life in Christ. And uh, a lady, I, she's well into her 70s, maybe her 80s, that came to faith only a year earlier. And it was wonderful to see the joy and the transformation in her life as Christ filled it. Um, I'm thankful. Uh, Carol had mentioned the comfort that God gives. And uh, I've been with this congregation for a little while. And I remember I'd only been here about a year. And one of our young men was killed. And uh, the song that we sang, uh, 10,000 Reasons, every time we sing that song, I remember that boy. But I also remember his family. And I pray for them. It's an amazing song to sing at a funeral for a son that you've just lost, but it expresses the gratitude and the thankfulness and your confidence that God will keep you and the sun will rise the next day. And uh, I thank the Lord for his reminders in song to us that um, our souls are secure with him. Barry read that poem from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And there's a phrase in it in particular that we're just going to take a couple minutes and look at. It's a phrase that says, there's a time to be born. And that's true of human existence, isn't it? Every one of us, there was a time in which we were born. We're created in the image of God, which is in itself is dignity and gives us purpose. But further to the fact that God has created us in his image, he has determined the time and the place that we would be born. Acts chapter 17, I refer to that fairly often, which tells us that God knows the exact time and place we will be born. He sets the boundaries of our life. In Psalm 139, we read there that God knows the number of our days before we ever live one of them. God knows perfectly the plan and the purpose of our life and the time and the place that we will be born. And what's true of us as humans is also true of God who became flesh that there was a specific time and place in which Jesus would be born. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a random period of time in which Jesus was born into this world. It was a specific time and place that God determined he would be born. In Galatians 4, 4 to 5, we read that fairly clearly. It said, but when the right time came, or when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. 
Notice how Paul spells this out very carefully. He is the son of God. We read that God sent his son, the eternal son of God, the word of God that was with God and is God. God sent his son. And how did he send him? Well, he sent him as the son of man, born of a woman. How? Under what circumstances? He was born under the law. We'll talk about that in a couple moments. And why was he born under the law as a human, the son of God? To redeem those who were under the law. So in that, Paul's telling us something about the person of Christ. He is both the eternal son of God, and he is also the born human likeness son of Mary. Fully God, fully man. That's the person of Jesus Christ. And he describes for us the reason of his birth. He has been born to redeem those who are under the law. So let's unpack this a little bit then in the next little while. When was Jesus born? He was born in the fullness of time or at just the right time. As I said a moment ago, Christmas is not a random event. The birth of Jesus was perfect timing. And that's what we can say at least this much about the birth of Jesus, that it was according to the perfect timing of God. You can read a number of places and people will speculate, well, why was it the perfect time? Why was Bethlehem in uh, Judea the time and the place in which Christ had to be born? Well, the text doesn't tell us why at all. But what it does tell us is that God knew and that God determined it. And he determined it before the foundation of the world. He determined the exact day and hour and place that Jesus would be born. God alone set that time. In the secret providence of God, he brought the birth of his son to pass. This phrase says more about God than it does about the birth of Christ. He is a God who can be trusted. He is a God who is sovereign. He is a God who knows the end from the beginning. He is a God who works according to that perfect plan and works out his will according to a perfect determined plan. And so the exact time and place of Jesus' birth was determined by God. And that's who determined the fullness of time. It wasn't a human random event. It was an event that was determined by God. And you say, well, what kind of a God can do that? What kind of a God can know exactly when a person will be born and where a person will be born? Well, a God who controls all things, a God who determines all things, a God who plans all things. This is the God that we worship at Christmas time. This is the God, uh, God the Father of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's amazing to us to reflect on that because what that tells us, at least in part, is God is not absent from our world. God is not distant from the world in which we live. God is personally and passionately engaged in what goes on on this orb which we call earth. He is especially committed and concerned about those who have been created in his image. God loves us and he believes in us as human beings even more than we love or believe in ourselves. And it's only such a God as that can, that could determine the exact time and place for Jesus to be born. And so that reminds us that God had a plan, a plan for mankind. It wasn't simply a serendipitous event, a set of circumstances that God took advantage of and said, oh, now I'm going to send him. 
Just like the return of Christ is not going to be a random event that takes place. We talk about Advent, the first coming of Christ, and Christ is going to come again. And what has Jesus said? Only the Father knows the exact day and hour at which Christ will return. It's planned. It will be set in motion by the eternal God. And what did this God do in the fullness of time? Well, he sent his Son. We don't have to be reminded again of this, but it's helpful. Isaiah says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And in this, love, in this, the love of God was made manifest. This is the visible expression of God. This is how we see God's love for us in that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This birth of Jesus is a way that we see God. John said, I touched him and I listened to him and I ate with him. It's absolutely staggering that this God who is eternal, this God who created this world, this God who needs nothing from us, that that God entered into our time and space. He sent his son into the world. It reminds us again that we've been saying, just as review, that Jesus existed before he was born. Or God, the Son, existed before he was born. The character of Jesus existed before he was born. But Jesus, the man, came into existence through his birth, through his mother, Mary. This is one of the wonders of Christmas that sometimes is smothered by all of the holiday spirit and material emphasis. The baby born to Mary was sent through her to us. This is how God entered into our time and space. This is how Jesus was born in our time and space. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Think about the next phrase. How did God send his son into the world? I've already alluded to that. Born of a woman. This is the way God did it. This is why we mentioned last week the virgin birth, that Jesus came into this world through the birth canal of his mother, Paul does not specifically mention Mary, but we know the identity of the woman through whom Jesus was born. And it confirmed his humanity. We've talked about that. It's essential that Jesus both be the eternal son of God and the human son of man. Fully God, fully man. And this is how God became man. This is how God took on humanity, took on the likeness of human flesh. He was born of his mother, Mary. It was a normal birth. As the Luke or Matthew is describing the birth of Jesus, he says, now the birth of Jesus took place this way. Almost every mother here could describe the birth of their children. It took place this way. You have it etched in your memory. Luke 2.6 says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. As we know, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. He was born just like any other man or woman, I guess it's boy or girl, or I guess it's baby boy or girl was born. We told something about this child. When the Holy Spirit, it says, speaking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born to you and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. The exact place of his birth is described in Scripture. Remember when the, uh, the, the wise men came and they asked, well, uh, King Herod, where, where, where is this one who is born to be king? 
It says, and he inquired of them, or uh, Herod inquired then of his chief priests and the scribes. He said, where is this Christ to be born? Well, they picked up, uh, is it Malachi? And they read there in Bethlehem of Epaphrath. And Matthew says, and now Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the days of King Herod, the place and the time and the circumstances. In Luke 2.11, for under you is born this day in the city of David. He had a real birth in a real place, had a real mother. I suppose God could have created a human in many ways, but he chose to have his son enter in the world in the same way you and I do. So that God can fully identify with his humanity. And then he says something fascinating. He was born under the law. This tells us something we might not know or might not understand. Have you thought that? What does it mean that Jesus was born under the law? Well, it's a further reference to his humanity. It's a clear reference to his humanity. Why? Because only human beings are under the moral law of God. Animals aren't. Stars aren't. The trees aren't. Human beings are under the moral law of God. So this is a, another reference to the reality of the humanity of Jesus. He was born with the same demands, the, the same boundaries, the, the same um, requirements of God, born under the law, the moral law of God. This isn't just any reference of law, is it? If, if you know something of, of the church or you've born, been brought up in it, you've become familiar with the law that God gave to us through Moses the Ten Commandments that God given, given to humanity through Moses. Some of you are familiar with this. This is called the moral law of God. And it's not a law that just applies to Christians. It's a law that applies to every single human that has ever been born. These express God's boundaries for our lives. These express God's will and purposes for us. These express not only the acts that, that we are forbidden from, um, but they also express behind them the intent and the motives behind the things that we do. Here's the word of the Lord. Then God gave his people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of savory. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of that's in heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection of any other gods. I lay the sins of parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children until the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, your any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long life 
full in the land your God has given you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's the moral law of God. That's the law under which every single one of us has been born. That is the law to which God holds each one of us accountable to. There's a succinct summary of that when Jesus responds to a question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And it's fascinating what obedience is. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's how you keep the law of God. By loving God with everything that you have, everything that you think, everything that you feel, everything that you are, And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. It's pretty staggering, isn't it? Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So to be born under the law meant that Jesus was fully human, accountable to that law. And what is amazing, that is God, he was the author of these laws. As man, he submitted to the authority over to them over his life. So Jesus entered into this world the same way we do, under the same obligations that we are, so that every moment of his life, he lived it constrained by and to the will of the Father. That's why Jesus came into the world. He says, look, I have come into the world to do your will, O God, as it is written about me, in the scriptures. Just let that wrestle through your heads just a little bit. Jesus was subject to the same law that we are subject to. The same law that we are accountable to, Jesus was accountable to. But not a single human being has ever kept that law. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The punishment for even one slip-up in thought, intent, in motive, or in act is death. The wages of sin is death. So every single person ever born is in a massive, massive dilemma with a very, very dark future. But there is one who kept the law. This is the wonder of Christ, that he was born into this world the same way we are. He had flesh and bones and as you and I have. He was born under the law, subject to the law, but there was uniqueness about him. He was like us in every way except what? Without sin. That is absolutely staggering. That in thought, intent, and motive, and act, Jesus never sinned. He obeyed the law fully, completely, perfectly, and in every way. And that is absolutely crucial for you and I. Why? 
Because Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law. This is the heart of Christmas in many ways. This tells us the purpose of Jesus' birth, and we've been looking at five of those purposes so far. It explains why he was born of a woman, born under the law. It explains why God had to come into this world in the, in the, in the likeness of man to be born under the law and, and to redeem those of us who were held captive by the law, held bondage by the law, held under its strain and its constraints because we had disobeyed the law. And this is how we jump then to the end of Christ's life and that one line from that poem says, well, there is a time to be born, but what's the flip side of that? And there is a time to die. Just as Christ entered this world at just the right time, so also Christ died at just the right time. The writer of Acts says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed, against Jesus. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to occur. Just as Christ's death came at just the right time, according to the purposes of God, so his death happened at the exact time that God determined. Another place it acts, it says, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people. We who had broken the law, we who had disobeyed God, we who wanted nothing to do with God, God used lawless people according to his predetermined plan and foreknowledge to nail him to a cross and to kill him. So what does it mean, redeemed from the law? Do you think that through? What does it mean to be redeemed from the law? Well, does that mean that you can cast off all restraint then and do whatever you want? No. Can I continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. For we are always to walk in the ways of God. We are always to love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. We're always to love our neighbor as ourselves. What it means is that the law no longer is a hostile or a damning power over us. The law no longer has the ability to condemn us. It has no power anymore to accuse us. Why? Because I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man, was sent into the world to redeem me and to extricate me, to free me from, to set me loose from my oppression under the tyranny of that law. That's why Christ came to this world. Have you ever been under the bondage of your sin? Have you ever been racked with guilt or shame? Are you right now? Well, it's because we've broken a law. This is the beauty of Christ, that he, he, he takes us out from under that. 
And he frees us from its accusation. He frees us from its hold on our life. He frees us from its grip upon us. He sets us free from his curse. In other words, Christ came into this world to pay a debt that I could never pay. This is the wonder and the beauty of Christmas. And this is why Christ had to be God and why he had to be man, is his righteousness as a man is applied to us as sinners because he's also God. And therefore, he can save anyone who will put their faith and trust in him. All of us were in a drowned in a sea of moral debt. I don't know if you've ever felt financially under debt, overextended yourself, um, bought something that didn't turn out to be what you thought it would be, put too much on your credit card, thought that you'd make a, get a raise and you didn't get it. You spent more than you earn, you owe more than you can ever repay. The penalty and the interest and the unpaid bills hang like a curse over your head every waking moment. What started out as a pleasure, spending money is now a curse because you can't repay the money that you owe. Some of you have maybe experienced unexpected relief through an inheritance or through a significant bonus. But we're talking here about the curse of moral debt that we're all under. We have pursued things that we thought were wonderful and were pleasurable, and yet we are now in their debt, and we have no way out from under that debt. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you know the wonder of Christ? It says that all who trust in him, their debt is paid in full completely erased, completely dealt with. I don't know if you've ever been in debt, and, and maybe it's been good debt, but, but the joy that you feel if your mortgage has been paid off or the joy that you feel when you pay off a credit card, well, times that by infinity when you understand that your moral debt has been paid. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt there is no shame. There is no debt. When you have trusted in Christ, there will come times where your conscience will bother you or the devil will whisper in your ear. You're under the law. No, when, when you are in Christ and... You feel the terrors of the law pressing in on you again. One old Puritan said, plunge yourself into the wounds, the blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and say to yourself, besides him, I will see nothing and I will hear nothing. Christ has redeemed me from the law. Did you know this about the baby that was born to Mary? Did you know that God sent him to free you from the burden of sin, from the constraints of the law? Did you know that Christ has borne all that weight and has met all the condition of God's moral law so that he can bring you out from underneath it? Do you know that? 
Did you know that God would determine that you would hear that today? It's no accident you're here today. God wants you to know that there is freedom from the law. And that freedom is in Christ Jesus. So understand this. Christ was born at just the right time. Well, the Bible also tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for some of you to say, oh, Jesus, will you pay my debt? Will you free me from the burden of the law? Would you give me joy and peace and silence the voices of condemnation and the voice of accusation that comes from the evil one? And will you truly give me peace? Father, we thank you for a time to consider once again another reason that you were born. We thought about the fact that because you were God, you were able to give us life. We've worked through the reality that because you were God, you entered into this world to speak truth to us. We thought about the fact that when you came into this world, you did it in order to take away our sins and to free us from the works of the devil. We thought about the fact that you were born to take on the likeness of human flesh. Yesterday, we thought about the fact that you were born to be a king and what a king you are. And today, we have thought about the fact that you came into this world because your father sent you. You humbled yourself by being born in the likeness of man, born of a woman, under the law, in order to free us from the law. Father, for those of us who understand some of those things and have trusted in Christ and have life and know the truth and know our sins are forgiven and are submitting more and more to Christ our King, may our hearts rejoice throughout this day as we think about that. Father, for those that may be here this morning who know those things because they've heard them but haven't experienced them in their hearts, Father, may they experience the greatest gift, the indescribable gift of life in Christ, salvation from their sin. This morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've asked the uh, worship team to sing a rather strange song on the Lord's Day Christmas morning, but it came from the fact that I was reflecting on Revelation 12 six or seven days ago which is one of the most amazing Christmas texts from the book of Revelation. But there it describes Christmas as the defeat of devil and his being cast out of heaven, but he's not completely destroyed yet. He's raging against you and I. So it's a reminder that while the devil is at work, Christ has destroyed and will finally destroy his works. It's a reminder that we are at war, but it's a reminder that we have a mighty fortress in our Heavenly Father. So we're going to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let's stand. <laughs>